with a staggering statistic that may surprise you. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. When there's enmity between you and your parents, it'll give you an ulcer, it'll give you high blood pressure. You need to release it. 99.9% of the angry young men that come to me are angry with their father. Let it go. Say it. I choose to forgive my father, God. Give me forgiveness. The majority, I won't say that statistic is right for women, but the majority of women that are angry who come and see me are angry with their mother. Let it go. Release it. Say it. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Someone has well said that being bitter is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. The only remedy is forgiveness. And we'll hear more about that today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. You've picked a good day to join us as we continue in Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we pick up in chapter 3 with part 2 of a teaching on how to find peace in relationships. Pastor Ed begins in verse 17 with a quick word on the way we're to do things. Whatever you do in word or deed, that's a pretty sweeping statement, whatever you do, words or deeds, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let that be the driving focus of your life, giving thanks again, he says, to God the Father through him. This is a pretty comprehensive, all-encompassing thought, a sweeping statement about your life, about my life. That's a norm of conduct, he's saying. Do it all with the kingdom of God in mind. And that's the thankful heart. Now, the next section... We start with verse 18, my favorite verse. Joke, joke, okay, joke. <laughs> Wives, submit the S word. Oh my goodness. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. We better go on to verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Okay, now we can go back and look at 18. I just didn't want, you know, minds, I could hear them slamming shut. I just went, wait a minute. This is not a subject that's discussed in the world today. Outdated, Victorian thinking, old. But think with me a moment before we head into this verse. How's the world's perception of marriage working? Two years ago, new statistic, for the first time in America, more than half of the marriages, more than 50%, 51% of all marriages in America failed within five years. Fifty and a half percent of all children born in these United States are now born to an unwed mother. How's this world's philosophy working? Not so good. So if you're here and you're not a believer and you just want to get up and walk out because I use the submit word, remember who wrote this. Now, Paul's strategy in this letter was to remind us first of who Jesus is. He says he's the creator of all things. All things were created through him and by him. 
He is the one who holds all the world together. And we talked about the entropic principles and the cosmological constants that if they were tweaked by 1%, there wouldn't be any life on planet Earth. 900 of them so far. He's the one who sustains this world. He's the one who has the power to make things work. And these are his ideas. So shouldn't we at least listen and consider the possibility that this might be the problem our world is having with marriage and divorce. So, God has an order. This word, submit, hypotasio in the Greek language, means to voluntarily, very important, a voluntary attitude of letting another person go first. It's actually a military term describing the hierarchy in the military. God is saying, wives, you should voluntarily let your husband lead the family. The husband is the head of the homeless crisis, the head of the church. Now, I want you to know that I have maybe a slightly different view of this because I have this brilliant wife and two brilliant daughters. Now, they're grown and out of the home now, the daughters, but I, I had to lead them spiritually. The truth is I wanted them to lead. They're better at it. They love Jesus. They hear his voice better than I do, even to this day. God, why do you have this plan for that very reason? Because us guys, we'd gladly sit back and let you lead, ladies. We'd love for you to lead, right? And if you're smart, you won't let us do that. I mean, you won't let us have our way. You'll force us to do what Paul is saying here. Because then we actually lead the family. Wait, wait, stop eating. We forgot to pray again. Yes, it happens in the pastor's house too. It's not the unpardonable sin. Just stop and pray with the food in your mouth. It's all right. It's okay. All right? Honor your husband's position and help the Holy Spirit out. Maybe it's better to say it that way. Do it God's way. Help your husband step out. Why? It's fitting in the Lord. What? It's God's idea. It's his plan. It's exactly what he's going to say throughout this whole thing. So a wife who learns to practice this will help her husband grow into the strong leader that God wants him to be. Her husband is known in the gates, Proverbs 31. Now, a lot of us are familiar with that. It's the statement about this godly woman. She buys lands. And don't tell me that Christianity makes women less than what they are. Just the opposite. This woman is trading in world commerce in Proverbs 31. But this is what it says about her husband. Her husband is known in the gates. That, those are the courts, the law court, where things are decided. He sits among the elders of the land because she is really good at what she does, and she recognizes that God has set up an order. So she says, honey, why don't you go and work in the courts today and let me run the house? <laughs> And uh, give me your checkbook, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. So, then, flips the other way. Husbands, love your wives. Sounds easy. Paul sneaks in a word here. The word is agape, agapos, love your wives. It means unconditional love. It means love that sacrificially gives. Paul said the same thing over in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives, but then he added a little thing to it. He said, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Love your wives, gentlemen, by dying for them. <laughs> and by the way, the verse before, 
Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another. Submission goes both ways, right? How broad is that love supposed to be? So broad that you're not bitter about your wife not being exactly what you had in mind. My wife gave this to me, so it's okay, ladies. It says, the ideal wife, the subtitle is, what every man expects in a woman. Ready? Always beautiful and cheerful. Could have married a movie star, but wanted only you. Beauty that won't run in a rainstorm. Never sick. Only allergic to jewelry and fur coats. Insists that moving furniture by herself is good for her figure. Expert in cooking, cleaning the house, fixing appliances, and keeping quiet. Her favorite hobbies are mowing the lawn and shoveling snow. Her favorite expression is, what can I do for you now, honey? She wants you to go out with your buddies so she can stay home and get caught up on your laundry. Then under the subtitle, what every man actually gets, it says, she speaks 140 words a minute with occasional gusts of 180. Where there's smoke, she's cooking. She lets you know that you have only two faults, what you say and what you do. So Paul says, do not be bitter <laughs> towards them. It's passive. Uh, don't be exasperated. Don't be angry. Removing bitterness, the key is forgiveness. You, you let it go. Guess what? She's at least as disappointed in you as you are disappointed in her. That's the point that's going on here. Yeah? Have you looked in the mirror? Have you thought about life here? Forbearing one another, we saw in verse 13. Forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do with your wife and with your husband. All right? Now let's beat up the kids a little bit. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. Wow. I can hear the junior hires moaning. Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Okay, the word children, tekon in the Greek language, means literally any child under the roof of their parents' home. So when you are there, uh, those of you that are failing to launch and 42 years old, uh, if you're under the house, the roof of your parents' house, this applies to you. This will make you move. Okay. Obey your parents in everything. And it's a present imperative, meaning it, it continues on as long as you're there. Why? Why would God say that? Because it's well-pleasing. It's God's design. This whole idea of a hierarchy of submission to authority is part of God's plan. Of course, it assumes that what parents are asking are godly, according to God's will, in it. And it assumes you are still in the home. Now, those of you that are out of the home and your parents are a struggle, you're not required to obey them, but you are required to honor them. 
takes a little finesse sometimes. Some of uh, us as parents and some of our parents are really good at pushing all our buttons, pushing your hot buttons. How does she know? How does he know? Well, they installed them. They know exactly how to push your buttons. They were their invention. But God says honor them. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's reminding us of our call to honor our parents. Now with the conclusion of today's lesson from Colossians chapter 3 and how to move forward in our relationships with our parents, once again, here's Pastor Ed. You show honor to them. Even back in the Old Testament in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, it's the only commandment, honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you all of the days of your life, that you would have health. Why? Because when there's enmity between you and your parents, it'll give you an ulcer, it'll give you high blood pressure. You need to release it. 99.9% of the angry young men that come to me are angry with their father. Let it go. Say it. I choose to forgive my father. God, give me forgiveness. The majority, I won't say that statistic is right for women, but the majority of women that are angry who come and see me are angry with their mother. Let it go. Release it. Say it. Well, I don't feel like saying it. Of course you don't. Say it as a prayer. God, give me forgiveness for my mom. Give me forgiveness for my dad. I choose to forgive them. You give me the forgiveness you gave me. It'll release you. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your... Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? This is this wonderful stuff. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Remember that strong discipline has to be balanced with encouragement. It's just that simple. That we're called to build our children up, not tear them down. Discouraged athumia, word means to dispirit a child, to break their spirit. You don't want a kid with a broken spirit. So know your children. Don't provoke them. How do you provoke them? Bad teasing, going too far, hurting the feelings of a child. Overly high expectations, wanting more from your kid than they're able to do. Expecting them to be first when they may not be able to be. Conditional love, never letting them know that you love them unless they perform to your expectations. Broken promises, promising them things and then not doing it over and over again just destroys relationships between fathers and sons especially. Abuse, any kind of abuse, creates anger in a child. They may not show it right away. Whether it's mental, verbal, physical, sexual, it'll come back. Don't discourage them. Don't take them to the place that they quit trying, another translation says. When you break a child's spirit, they can get to the point where they quit trying. They check out. Proverbs 18, 14. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness. A broken spirit, who can bear it? Answer, you can't. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Martin Luther said, it is true. Beside the rod, keep an apple nearby to give him when he does well. Keep encouraging your kid. Now, employees, employers, 22. Bond servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh, not with eye service. Not saying, oh, everybody's hanging out at work, and then all of a sudden one says, what? Everybody get back to work. The boss is coming. <laughs> 
or as man-pleasers, only doing it to impress, to get ahead in work instead of doing it for the Lord, but in sincerity of heart, with your whole heart, in respect for God. God's watching. He says, do it as unto the Lord, he's going to say in just a moment, at all time. Now, this is a, a particularly poignant verse in the first century. In the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves, it's estimated. And many of those, probably in Colossae, of Christians, were slaves. They were owned by a man. And it just makes our skin crawl today. But that's the reality of Rome in the first century. So Paul isn't condoning this. He's saying this is the way a believer should handle it. But it's interesting in that it works exactly the same way for modern boss and employee relationships. The same set of things will work just as well. So whatever you do, and this really follows through verse 23, do it with your whole heart, heartily, as to the Lord and not to humans, not to men. Work for Jesus. Work from your soul. Be all in, we might say today. Your best, do it for him. Not, not just doing it honestly, but cheerfully with a good attitude. Motives are essential is what he's saying here. No service for Jesus is insignificant. Well, Pastor, I don't do anything important. Paul's going to say God sees it, and you'll be rewarded for being faithful. Masters, give your servants what is just, what is fair, what is equity, what is right. Pay them what they deserve if you're an employer, knowing that you have a master in heaven. I like that, that everybody has a master. You may think you're the boss, but you're a little tiny boss. <laughs> the real boss is up there, and we all answered him. We'll all stand before him. But that's not a scary thing if you've given your heart to him. He's already forgiven our sins, and he invites us to come into his throne room of grace. So be fair the best that you can to all those who are around you. And if you own a business, you have a master in heaven that will reward you according to how you awarded it. I think I missed a verse here. Look, all these notes are out of order. Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord. That's what I was saying. I was going, you know, it said somewhere here. Here it is, verse 24. You will receive a reward of the inheritance, part of the inheritance that's given to all who call on his name. You become a, from an orphan to a child of God. You're in the will, and you get what the Father has for everyone. A recent study said that 70% of Americans report that they, quote, often dream about doing something different for a living. Paul gives us a secret for that. It's not wrong to seek for a job that fits our skills and our interests, but it's futile to move from one job to another until you first figure out who it is that you really work for. And once you figure that out, that you're working for Jesus, then you don't have to worry whether the boss is watching or not or would you get a reward, because there'll be a reward in heaven whether or not you get one now. Let God lead you, verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid, again, as a master who doesn't treat his servants well, repaid for the wrong which he has done, and there's no partiality. The connection is with, again, servants here. Okay, verse 15 said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God be this umpire. We'll close with a, 
true story. I love the old story of the beggar's clothes. It fits the way that Paul was writing this. A beggar lived near the king's palace. One day he saw a proclamation posted outside the palace gate. The king was giving a great dinner and anyone dressed in royal garments was invited to attend. The beggar went on his way and he looked at the rags that he was wearing inside. Surely only kings and their families wore royal robes, he thought. But slowly an idea crept into his mind. The audacity of it made him tremble. Would he dare? He made his way back to the palace. He approached the guard at the gate. Please, sire, I would like to speak to the king, he said. Wait here, said the guard. A few minutes later, he was back. He says, his majesty will see you. He walked in and the king said, you wish to see me? Yes, your majesty, said the beggar. I want so much to attend the dinner party, but I have no royal robes to wear. Please, sire, if I may be so bold, may I have one of your old garments so that I, too, may come to the banquet? The beggar's hands were shaking so hard that he could not see the faint smile on the king's face. You have been wise in coming to me, said the king, and he called on his son, the young prince. He said, take this man to your room and array him in some of your clothes. The prince did, and soon the beggar was standing before a mirror, clothed in garments he never dared to hope for. You are now eligible to attend the king's banquet tomorrow night, said the prince, but even more importantly, you will never need any other clothes. These garments will last forever. The beggar dropped to his knees. Oh, thank you, he cried. But as he started to leave, he looked over and saw his old rags sitting there on the floor. And he reached over quietly and took his old rags and walked out the door. The banquet was far greater than the beggar had ever imagined, but he could not really enjoy himself as he should. He had made a small bundle of his old rags and kept them on his chair, but they kept falling off and he'd reach down and grab them. And the food was going quickly by and he missed some of the best food. Time proved that the prince was also right. The clothes lasted forever, but still, the beggar grew fonder and fonder of his old rags, and he wanted to kill back to wearing them. As time passed, people seemed to forget the royal robes he was actually wearing, and they only saw the little bundle of rags that he clung to wherever he went. They even spoke of him as the old man with the rags. One day, as he lay dying, the king visited him. The beggar saw the sad look on the king's face when he looked at the small bundle of rags by the bed. Suddenly the beggar remembered the prince's words and he realized that his bundle of rags had cost him a lifetime of true royalty. He wept bitterly at his foolishness and the king wept with him. The believer's life is about taking off the old rags, the old man, the old life, and putting on the royal garments of Jesus Christ. But tragically, like the beggar, B.C., before Christ, for all of us, tragically, many believers, because they also carry a small bundle of old rags with them, miss out and never get to experience a lifetime of riches. They never really get to enjoy themselves in the Christian life because they've never given up the old life. They're dragging that baggage with them. Let it go and you'll find true freedom. Attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to failure unless God be in it. 
Thanks for being with us for Grow in Grace. We're studying Colossians here on the weekends with Pastor Ed Ray. To hear this program again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. At Grow in Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our Lord and our listeners to help us provide these studies. And today, when you give a donation of any amount, we'll send you A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. We've all been hurt by the words or actions of another, but when it comes from another Christian, that can be really hard to handle. A Tale of Three Kings will lead you to God's hope and healing for times like these. I know you'll be comforted as you read A Tale of Three Kings, and again, it's our way of saying thank you for your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace as you study along with us. And if that's happening in your life, please do write us, as that would be very uplifting. And if you have a question related to our study or prayer request, by all means, send those our way. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace as our study of Colossians develops with Pastor Ed Ray. God bless. Sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your